Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way, the podcast for writers who strive to be bold and readers who crave something new. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I want to thank you for being here, and I want us to stay in touch. So subscribe to this podcast, then go to writingtherongway.com and enter your best email to receive the Martian Embassy Missive, my bi-weekly newsletter where I let you know what's happening on Mars, where we're always making big plans. Join the Martians so you don't get left out of the invasion at writingtherongway.com. And as a special bonus, I'll send you a free book. Speaking of books, my new book is called The National Gallery, and it contains sonnets about Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, elegies lamenting the death of my iPhone, and other strange missives from yours truly, the Poet Laureate of Hell. Visit thenationalgallery.ca to order your signed copy. That's thenationalgallery.ca. So I'm here with Francine Cunningham, the author of On Me, a poetry collection, and also uh, there's this kind of nightmare wind that I can't, I just want to let everybody know uh, that sound that you may be hearing in the background is uh, not uh, an ambulance, it's, it's not the apocalypse, it's just Winnipeg wind. Um, and so thanks for talking to me, Francine, and there's a lot of things that I think uh, are kind of interesting about you and worth talking about but one thing I just want to kind of start with uh, is at the back of your book I'm, I'm the guy who reads all the acknowledgments pages and books okay I'm uh, glad yeah. yeah and so at the back of the book you have written here in your acknowledgments uh, to any indigenous youth out there who may be reading this you matter and these words are for you I hope that if you're struggling you'll do the same and try writing about all that you're feeling writing always helps I've written my way out of more than one depressive episode, and I'm sure I will again. Even if you don't think you're a writer, you are. Just try. Now, I find that, uh, you know, it, it's a very kind of touching thing to put in your acknowledgments page, but I think it also is really interesting because you're a person who is, you know, not just writing that in an acknowledgments page, but actually going out and doing workshops, uh, you know, in the community and with, you know, youth and, and so on. So I just want to wonder if you could just begin with just kind of elaborating a little bit on that uh, statement. Uh, and on kind of the work that you do uh, with writing workshops? Sure. So like you said, I do go out and I spend about half my year. Uh, at this point in my life, it's about eight months out of the year uh, traveling around to different communities, often like isolated indigenous communities who maybe don't always get authors in their communities, um, working with the youth on sort of just like allowing, like expressing their own voice and their own point of view and talking to them about why, about why what they have to say matters. And cause it's something that I truly, truly believe in. And I, I talk to them about representation, why it's important that our voices are representing ourselves and that it's okay to have like a varied experience and to write about that varied experience and I just felt like because I've been doing this work for like, I don't know, like 15 years now, I, I've, been, I've had so many conversations with youth and a lot of what came out of it was like, I didn't know I was allowed to write that or I didn't know I was allowed to say that or think those thoughts, especially when it came to their own identity. Um, so one of the reasons I wrote this book was to sort of talk about some of the stuff that were, I grew up thinking that I wasn't allowed to talk about and that to show an example to the youth that, um, yeah, you can talk about these things and it's important that your point of view is out there in the world also. Now, when you f- yourself first started uh, writing, did you have some of those similar blocks that you sometimes see other people having of just not feeling? Because it seems like you kind of address this in some of the poems here. I mean, you know, it's always dangerous sometimes to conflate, you know, the speaker in a poem with the real, you know, speaker of the author. But you do seem to address that some of those issues in those poems uh, to some degree, that issue mm-hmm. of, you know, not maybe feeling like you have the right to speak necessarily or that your uh, point of view maybe is not valid. I, so how did you yourself kind of come to writing uh, and what were some of the blocks that you had to kind of work around to be able to write a book like On Me? Well, when I first started writing, uh, like I started writing as a kid and I was writing a lot of just like fiction stories. And I mean, I didn't know what it was called at the time, but like a lot of like fan fiction type stuff. Um, 
although this was like pre-internet. So I was just writing stuff. And then when I got to university is when I started to like really focus on my writing. And I joined an indigenous writing class uh, only for indigenous writing students. And it was my first time like ever really sharing my work. And I think because it was only other indigenous people around the table, I really felt like I could speak freely and and it, it was so much positive reinforcement that like keep going, keep going and um, and so I did. I just kept going and then I did my MFA um, to keep going. So that was just sort of like how I I guess how I started it. But in terms of writing this book, I mean, I've been writing poetry forever and that was always like poetry is where my heart lives. It's where my soul lives, and that's how I express myself. When it comes to my fiction, I'm much more telling other people's stories, I feel, like other characters' stories. But poetry is all about me. And so when I thought about this book in particular about me, I knew that this was going to be like kind of like my introduction to the, like, to the world as a writer, and I wanted to introduce myself. I wanted to talk about who I am and where I come from, um, just to, yeah, to introduce myself, which is one reason why the book's called On Me. What are some of the things that have helped you keep going? Because I find when I teach writing, one of the biggest issues um, in general for writers, whether they're, you know, younger or kind of emerging writers, whether they're coming to writing late in life or starting, you know, to write while young or whether they're even somebody who has been doing writing for a long time, uh, I find like consistently the problem always is uh, keep going how do I keep going uh, and even if you look back in history I, I like to joke that um, the 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 two keys to success as a writer are don't quit and don't die but you can <laughs> still die <laughs> as long as you don't quit uh, you know like yeah. you know quitting really is the thing that I think a lot of writers often very excellent writers fall victim to yeah um, and it for, you know, good reasons and bad reasons and good reasons. Um, so what kind of kept you going outside of the, um, I mean, you're saying you got some encouragement from kind of your peer group, but I mean, there is, oh, I mean, there's days when that doesn't do it. Right. Um, or it just isn't enough, uh, or they're just not there. <laughs> so what is like the thing that kind of kept you going, uh, and, and maybe even still keeps you going at this point? Um, I think like there's, I feel like for me, there's no other option in life. <laughs> I have, <laughs> this is, this is my skill set. This is what I can do. Um, I've never been good at like math, science, uh, history type stuff. Like I, that's just not my wheelhouse. And the only thing I've ever excelled at is art. And so I knew from a very young age, no matter what, I was going to be an artist of some sort. Um, I started off really wanting to be a visual artist. And then I went into theater and I did theater training because I was like, I'm going to be an actor. And then I moved into writing. So, and even I remember my mom telling me as a teenager, she was like, okay, you know, you don't have to focus on math and science. I don't care if you pass those or not, but um, focus on art because that's the thing that you're going to do in this world. And she made me like a little home studio at our house in her spare bedroom. And I was just really like focused on that. Like that was it. This is the end all be all. Like I'm not going to do anything else with my life. So I think not having any other options helps. <laughs> and being like single-mindedly determined on one thing. And then I knew also with going in, like teaching was teaching art was also going to be one of the major things like I get so much joy and happiness from teaching and, uh, I don't really necessarily want to be a full-time teacher. Like I like the kind of teaching I get to do, which is to go in and spend time with people and then move on. Um, I really don't like the idea of like marking and all that kind of stuff. So I've kind of set up my life to be exactly how I want it, which I know a lot, a lot of people get to say that, but, uh, I get to be a full-time writer and teach people in the way that I want to. So for right now, keeping going is pretty easy because, uh, 
every, everything's how I want it to be. <laughs> but I, in terms of like five years ago, when I graduated from my MFA, I gave myself a two-year deadline um, to be fully supporting myself in that two years as a writer. If not, then I was going to go back to school and do my PhD, uh, which is not something I totally wanted to do. But um, I was like, I have two years to do this. And then by the end of the two years, I was doing it. Um, so I don't know. That's really interesting think, that you did that, that you like set a deadline. You had like this you know, clear kind of goal, what you wanted to do. Yeah. I find that people don't often have that kind of um, clarity of vision, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. So maybe I'm sure you didn't know exactly how you were going to do it at that point. But you yeah. had maybe kind of the end in mind in a manner of speaking. So then what did you do to kind of as the next step when you made that goal? You know, what was your next kind of thing that you did? Well, I committed to being poor. Uh, <laughs> like, no, for, but no, for that's real. A, like, that's I, a great I, I, it, it makes perfect sense. I, I just laughing because that's what I did, too. <laughs> I was like, I made, I talked to myself. I was like, okay, you're going to be poor for a while, and that's okay. Uh, so that means some things are going to have to change in your life. You're not going to shop. You're not going to eat out. You're not going to do these things all in like sacrifice of this end vision. Um, and cause I was like, I'm not getting another job. Like I'm not. And so, and then it also meant routine, routine saved me. Right. So, uh, my writing routine every day, making sure that I'm making time for administrative tasks, which for me means sending out queries, sending out submissions, uh, sending out emails being like, Hey, uh, do you, do you need someone for this? Um, really just putting myself in the way of like opportunities and that takes time. And so I've dedicated time in my day to do that. Um, and when I do get an opportunity and someone does like throw me a job or a contract, especially at the beginning, just making sure that I was like fulfilling that early, uh, making sure that I was having a good reputation, like just working as hard as I could. Cause I know word of mouth is so important. Um, and it's true. The more I started to do that, the more opportunities started to come to me. Uh, and so things got easier after, after that. And also like at the beginning, I like offered some like free teaching, uh, free workshops to places because I knew like if I did a really good job, then maybe they would ask me to come back, but pay me this time. I find that it's really hard to to get people to understand the importance of routine yeah. <laughs> and, and, and have, have, of in a sense, I don't know, there's not really a good way for it, but basically what, of creating systems yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, like a query system, for example, where, you know, you're going to send out so many or you you have a process to kind of be putting yourself out in the world in a manner of speaking or putting yourself in front of people or putting yourself in places where you, you know, getting your, I don't know, it, it's hard to, it's almost like you have to create an opportunity system, I find, where like, yeah. you know, here's the things I'm doing so that opportunity can knock. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, and I find like people have a hard time understanding that. Uh, one, because they think of routine, especially, I think people often have this um, idea that somehow routine is the enemy of creativity. But, you know, I yeah. guess for some people, maybe it could be. But what I find personally is just that uh, the more regular and routine your kind of working habits are, the more wild you can be when you're sitting down to work because you have the freedom now um, to you know, play around on the page in a manner of speaking yeah. because that structure is there outside of that. And, you know, and if it goes badly, uh, you know, if, if I, I find like if I spend all day or like if I spend, you know, time trying something different and new and risky and wild and it doesn't work, well, I know that tomorrow I can just, try it again with something else you know yeah. like there's a there's a consistency to the um, effort that makes the results not as um, they don't matter as much in a weird sort of way <laughs> like they do and they don't because if it goes badly you just can try it again yeah as opposed to just like I don't have the consistency and therefore when I get the opportunity it has to work mm -hmm. yeah oh for sure and also uh, consistency and routine 
just makes your writing better because you're practicing more. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if I look at my writing from even five years ago compared to the level it's at now, like there's a huge difference. And that's just because I've been practicing more. What are the things that made the biggest impact for you in terms of, you know, in that kind of two year period where you just like, I'm going to make a go of this. What are the things that really, uh, worked out well? And what were the things that you kind of, now you look back and think, Oh, that was a bit of a waste of time. Um, I mean, I don't know if anything really was a waste of time. I worked a lot. Like, I, like now I'm able to like sort of regulate more to have like normal hours, but I mean, I worked a ton. I was like 12, 15 hours working and sleeping very little because <laughs> hmm. I knew I was like, I've got to like, I've got to work really hard. Um, and I've got to be writing a lot and like, I'm just, you know, and I also like, I was starting up like my Etsy business at the same time. Cause I was like, Oh, you know, I need some way, like some income coming in and like, um, I was trying out all these other artistic ventures and I was painting a lot and I was just like, I was just trying to keep my, like my art active brain constantly running. Um, so, I mean, maybe it's not the healthiest and probably not what people would recommend, but for me it really worked. And I don't know. I just can't, but now, um, I, I'm able to like, just, you know, slow down now and not work that insane amount and cause things are kind of okay. And I can just, uh, it sounds like it's kind of running along too. Like I find a lot of that stuff is like a flywheel is a metaphor. I think I've heard that makes sense. Like on a hamster wheel, you know, you got to constantly be going just to keep the thing going, but a flywheel, you know, it's hard to get it going, but when it's going, it kind of is going. And, you yeah. know, it doesn't take as much effort anymore after that initial, you know, kind of effort goes in. So if you have yeah. a system, I find that's returning some level of results on a consistent basis, you know, it'll be ups, there'll be downs, but um, you know, like if I just do these things and this the other thing will happen. Yeah. But when you're and young, like, I th- feel like you just got to try a bunch of different things yeah. because you don't know what's going to work. Yeah, no, it's true. You just got to keep going. Uh, and I just really discipline yourself. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. I think it part, partly it's because of my bipolarism because I do get manic, uh, very quick, like easily. And so at that time I was like just living in like a state of like mania, um, which was like pushing me and driving me. And again, it wasn't super healthy a lot of the time, but, uh, uh, I mean, it kind of worked (laughs) a little. And I mean, like not all the writing that came out of that time was, I mean, usable. A lot of it wasn't because in that state you're sort of thinking you're writing abroad, brilliant stuff, but you're not. Um, but it was just like, it kept me, it kept driving me forward, I guess. How did you kind of go from, you know, you're, you're talking about that class. So it sounds like that, that class you had, uh, with, uh, this indigenous author group where you're getting this encouragement was a big deal to you. And then yeah. you went into the MFA program uh, as well. Mm-hmm. What other things did you do around in that period to kind of just start connecting to other writers? Because I often um, get asked that question of what's, you know, the best way to kind of connect to a community of other writers. And like my answers are of limited use in the sense that a lot of them are kind of um, very specific to my experience, you know, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is not everyone's experience. And so I'm cu- curious to know, like how you kind of now at this time, were you in Calgary? Because I spent five years in Calgary. Uh, for four years and a half years in Calgary. Um, and I'm wondering uh, if, were you kind of in Calgary in this period or had you already kind of moved away at that point when you start oh. to really look, cause you'd gone to do an MFA in Victoria. Is that right? That Vancouver at the uh, UBC. UBC. Okay. And then uh, had you, uh, so was it in Calgary when you had this writer's group and you started to really start to take things seriously? No, it was here in Vancouver. So okay. I moved out to Vancouver when I was 20. Um, I did like a two-year visual performing arts diploma up in Fort McMurray uh, after high school. And then I moved to Vancouver to do my BA in theater right away. And then I just transitioned from my BA into my MFA. So uh, I've been in Vancouver for, I don't even know, 15, 16 years. And is that 
so then when you tr- started to branch out and connect more to the you know writing community yeah. in, in a larger sense, what are some things that you did and uh, you know uh, to, to, to do that? Well, uh, I'm not like I'm not a super like social person. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't go to like. <laughs> you know, the traditional things you're supposed to do as a writer. So I don't really go to readings, um, or things like that. It's just like, I'm just very uncomfortable in large groups and stuff. And so, um, basically it was just like the writers I knew or the writers I went to school with. And, uh, apart from that, my writing community, well, I guess it was just them. I I would say like the writers that taught me a lot is going to sound kind of strange, but the writers that taught me a lot were actually just the, the books I was reading. Um, so I do this thing where I go through like a phase, like phases. And so I will read, I'll pick an author and I'll just sort of read everything they've written in a short period of time and sort of just like get immersed in their writing and then like kind of try out their style, like just experiment. Um, so like, I remember I went through like an Indache phase and I read like all his books in like, you know, like a three week, four week period where it was just really intense. That's the only thing I was doing. And then I was like writing and I was trying out like really long sentences, um, really like lyrical writing and just trying to like mirror what he was doing just to get a sense of like what he does on the page. And then, you know, and then I'd switch to someone like Chuck Palahniuk and I'd read his stuff and then start writing more of like descriptive horror details. And then just like, so I just like, I spent time, (laughs) Uh, I spent about a year doing that, just like switching from writer to writer in, in like vastly like different styles, re- consuming everything they did and then writing like them and then throwing it away and trying something else. And I think like for me, that was almost like my writer community because I feel like I like I knew those these writers because I was consuming everything they'd done. And then like listening to interviews, like they were the only thing I was thinking about for like a few weeks. It's interesting because it's almost like you were, the way you described it, it's almost like kind of self-directing an intensive workshop. <laughs> you know, so it's like you're taking a workshop with Michael and Dachi in a weird sort of way. I mean, sure. Yeah. I, I guess I was just like, I don't know. This is, these people are like masters of different parts of writing. Right. So why not try and figure out what they do? So how did you uh, start doing these writer workshops of your own? I mean, I don't, I just, it's just my personality. I've been like that forever. So before it was like to topics. So even as a teenager, I got really into like, um, the like actual history of vampires, for example. So I like went hard in on that for a little while. Uh, and I just like, I just have always been like that. I'll pick a thing and then I'll obsess over it and then I'll throw it away and pick a new thing, obsess over it. Um, so I can be pretty good at trivia. I know a lot of like really random things. Um, <laughs> how'd you get into kind of starting to run workshops for, you know, youth oh, and other groups? Um, like where'd that kind of come up? When did you, how'd you kind of branch out into that? That's a good question. Especially, um, I think an interesting question so far as you, you know, you talk about yourself as being a relatively, you know, not super socially, uh, invested otherwise. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say like as a youth, like I was teaching, uh, like Sunday school or, uh, different things like that. And so as I got older, I just continued to do those types of volunteer type things with youth. And then I got a job at, uh, where did I work? I think when I first met, moved to Vancouver, I got a job at the first nations employment center and I was sort of the youth, one of the like youth directors. So, I ran like this summer program where uh, I had like 80 youth under me and then I would dire- like help them get jobs and run workshops on like resume writing and that kind of stuff. And then from there, I did that for about three years. And then I moved, I got a job at the Museum of Anthropology in the, with the Native Youth Program. And that was my first sort of taste at running a longer, because that was like a seven week program with a dedicated amount of youth. Uh, and really w- working them through many different art forms and letting them try a lot of different things and to express their identity. And so we did like short filmmaking, um, uh, just like, just like different things. And so I was like, Oh, okay. Like I, so I started to formulate an idea then of what I could do, uh, as like a workshop leader. And then, 
cause I, I didn't really want it just to be like straight writing workshops. And even now when I've run writing workshops, I have like different kinds. So there's like, you can bring me in for an afternoon and you'll get one type of workshop. You can bring me in for a day. You'll get me a different type. Uh, you can bring me in for a week or the ones that I do in community where I work with this organization called Empath is that a community, uh, so an indigenous community will bring me there for six weeks. And so I'll live in the community for six weeks and I'll run workshops with their youth for six weeks. And so there's like different levels of what I can do, but they always involve more than just writing. There are always other types of visual art expression at the same time. So, um, unless of course you're just bringing me in for like the three hours, then it's going to be just a straight three hour writing workshop. So what are some of the things, so, so a lot of my, the audience of this podcast is, uh, other writers and, and mm-hmm. I'm curious to know, like, what are some of the things you're kind of thinking about when you're developing say a workshop? Like what are the, what's just sort of yeah. your plan in a matter of speaking when you're trying to put together work? I, it, it sounds to me like what you're doing is you're sort of finding a kind of topic for a workshop and then you're kind of thinking of how you would develop it in different ways so that, you know, when, you know, say you're, um, you know, presented with the opportunity to go somewhere, um, they kind of maybe have like three different options where they could book you, say. Is that fair enough to say? So then how do you actually go about sort of putting together a workshop like that? Like what advice would you have to a writer who's maybe thinking about doing this kind of thing? Uh, I would say one, ask who's going to be attending the workshop. So if it's other writers who who are professional or like, you know, like in your level of like maybe been to school a little bit, because they want something different than, let's say, people who consider themselves writers but have never really written before versus people who do not consider themselves writers at all and are really actually scared of writing and creating art versus youth who, you know, and then when it comes to youth, you got to, like, program for the age group. So high school is very different than what I would do for junior high because junior high kids are much more like, yeah, let's try everything. High school students, you've got to work a little bit harder at it versus elementary kids who they're just so excited and fun, but it's a lot of like management, classroom management. So since I work with all age groups and I've even worked with like up to like elders at like a senior center, which is again, a completely different, what they want out of it is completely different. So I try and ask like, who am I giving the workshop for? What is their level of writing? What do they want out of it? Um, And how long do I have? Because all of that influences how I'm going to do a workshop. So at this point, in this like 15 years of doing this, I have like a bunch of workshops structured and written for different groups. Like I have all my workshops for all these different groups already like lesson planned, you know. Uh, And so what I can do now is sort of flip through, find the one that fits modify it for the specific group if I need to and then you know pack up my supplies and go and if I need to on the fly since I've done it so many times I can sort of like change on the fly of what I'm doing um so but just starting out those are questions I would ask the organizer right away so you're really starting with like the outcome that you want the students to have in many respects or yeah. that maybe the organization wants the students to have or, or you're in some combination and then kind of thinking through, well, how do I get to that in this, you know, span of time and uh, how do I engage people along the path of that? Yeah. Yeah. So like if I'm working with very specifically, let's, so let's say I'm working with a group of high school students that are in a creative writing class in their high school already, um, and maybe it's at the library and they have to sign up to go there and their parents have to pay a fee for them to sign up to go there. Uh, because that is a very different situation than you going to their classroom and then being forced to be there. Right. I would do two different sort of workshops. So if they're, if they're coming there, that means I know one, they're already into it. I don't have to convince them. Uh, two, they're probably already writing at home. So they're probably like pretty good. Uh, and so then that's, that would, means that my job is to facilitate like opening up the space for them to try different things that maybe their writing teacher has not thought of yet and give them new different types of exercises that they maybe are not aware of and making sure that there's lots of time in that workshop for them to actually write. So one of the things that I get told a lot about my workshops 
from participants is, oh my God, that's the most I've written in months. Um, because like some writing workshops you go and you don't actually get to write very much. You're just sort of listening to someone talk. Uh, and I don't really understand that. Like if I'm going to a writing workshop, I want to write. Um, so I make sure that a large chunk of my time is actually spent with the students writing. It's very interesting because I, I think um, I just look back at myself teaching. Uh, in you know, I've done I teach in university sometimes, and I, right now I'm just, I'm mostly just doing creative writing in university teaching, uh, not so much literature classes, but both in creative writing and literature classes. I, when I, early on, I was really afraid to like be quiet <laughs> in a manner of speaking, like almost as if as soon as I stopped talking, somehow you know they're going to want me to talk because they paid money. Yeah. You know, yeah. but that's not that at all. Like, uh, uh-uh. you know, as you say, like, you know, they, they want space to write or like, it's a, especially in creative writing classes, I find it's like, it's a break for them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is often, not always, but often like, you know, this isn't, they're not really, um, studying writing. Uh, and this is like a, a break from their normal path of study. It's mm-hmm. the thing they're passionate about and they're maybe are serious about in some ways, but really do see as like, uh, you know, now it sounds like your mother was very encouraging, but a lot of people don't have that kind of encouragement. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and in some ways, like they're looking to, you know, you or, or like the workshop or teacher or whatever, as like not a surrogate parent, but as like the person who's going to give them permission mm-hmm. um, or, you know, who they, just are going to get some support from, even if it's just for like an hour here. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and sometimes that, that's so much more valuable than, you know, anything else they could learn in, in, you know, depending on the person. Oh yeah. Like I feel like if I, especially when it comes to people who don't, who don't consider themselves writers, but are just joining up for fun, for example, if they can go in and have an emotional cathartic experience during my workshop and, and then, have a positive connotation with writing that it's more beneficial for them to come out than being able, being able to say, wow, writing can help me, you know, cause maybe that's just something that they need. And I feel like writing can help so many people in art. And, and so if, if their only experience with it is in school being like told that it's not good enough, you're, you need to get a hundred percent, um, then how is that helping them in their daily lives versus if they come into one of my workshops? And I mean, my workshops sometimes do well, a lot of times, especially with adults get very emotional and, and it is like a big cathartic experience. Cause for a lot of these adults, it's the first time in many, many years where they've been able to like express themselves artistically. And it's very emotional. Um, it's like a, it's like a very emotional release in that writing circle. Um, yeah, it's interesting to hear you. I mean, I'm, th- I'm thinking personally just a lot, a lot of this stuff recently because, again, I'm teaching these university uh, creative writing classes, and I've been, and the the problem with it is you have to give them a grade, like that's mm-hmm. the structure. They can't get mm-hmm. credit unless you know they get a grade, and there's rules around how they can get grades. And I, the more I do it, the more I feel like on one hand it's this you know in, incredible opportunity for people to, you know, to connect with people over in a very serious way and really, you know, get them writing in particular, you know, and really kind of move them forward into like a professionalization, which I don't think Mm -hmm. a lot of writers get um, in the way they should. But on the other hand, like the fact that you have to give them a grade negates so much of uh, the experience. Uh, And it's, it's so frustrating, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, how they, whatever it says it wants to do the university funnels everything structurally towards this grading period um and it starts to kind of really become a problem i feel where i honestly have the more i do it the more i feel like they would get more out of it if i just graded them by weight Mm. like how much they turned in and didn't even read it yeah Uh, you know and like i just in some ways you know just (laughs) so like it sounds like whereas the more I see the do these workshops or participate in them, you know, because I, I, I go to workshops as, as as a student myself still uh, from time to time and so on, and I just feel like it's 
it's such an intensive experience and it can be very, um, I don't know, like on one hand, the classroom structure is good because you're returning to the classroom every week, you know, and, and there's a lot of opportunity for, you know, to kind of be moving with somebody over a period. Um, but you kind of are losing the intensity of an, an emotionalism of the workshop that the workshop offers in, in its possibility, it seems. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not that one's necessarily better than the other, but I feel like in some ways this kind of more intense um, workshopping system is um, an advantageous, you know, setup, particularly for, you know, newer writers, it seems to me. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I always get at the end of the workshop no matter how long it is, even if I've been there for six weeks, is that they just want to keep going and they wish I was staying and that hmm. we would be continuing. But obviously I can't do that. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I've never uh, taught in a university before uh, just because that's just not where my mind is in it right now. Um but you've had classes I, in a university. Done, you know what yeah, I mean, I've, right? Like, there's so much good about it, and then there's yeah. this other side of bureaucracy that nobody enjoys. <laughs> this is, which is why I've sort of not done that. When I, I would say during that two that first two year period out in the world, I did teach at um, it was like a Korean weekend school for students, like. Um, sort of like these students would go to school all week, but then their parents also wanted them to continue learning on the weekend. And so uh, I was brought in as one of their creative writing instructors. So these were kids that were like 10 to 12 and uh, we had three hour class on Saturday, uh, which is like, which is a long time. And so that was me just sort of trying to make it as fun as possible since I knew it was their Saturday. Um, and, but I still would, I did have to grade them, even though, I mean, their, their grades didn't mean anything, but it was at that point where I was like, cause they were always so concerned about the grade, the grade, the grade where I was like, no, let's just have fun with writing. Uh, and then I was sort of like, mm, maybe this, this type of thing is not for me so much. Uh, I think if I were to teach in university, I would just start the class with, all right, you're all, you're all at a hundred percent. You're all getting A's. Uh, the only way you're not going to get a hundred percent is if you uh, if you stop showing up and sort of like take that burden off. Um, I want to just switch gears a little bit and talk more really specifically about some of the book. Uh, yeah. Just because, um, so uh, I'm just looking at this poem on tradition. You've, one of the things that you've got in this book that is really interesting to me is a real uh, back and forth between, you know, poems and subjects and kind of material that's very um emotional and very you know seems very personal and also sometimes very sad and yeah. then th jokes and like more kind of like kind of dark even sometimes a darker kind of take on things so like i'm just looking at like on page 14 you got this poem on, on tradition that begins sometimes i get jealous when i listen to other people's stories of their traditional upbringing but then i think they never had kfc uh, and so to me like that's a great poem opening because it's totally like holding these two um, emotional spaces and kind of like crashing them against one another for like a weird tension. And it's got kind of a jokey um, structure to it. It's even got that classic joke structure of like the last word is the punchline. Mm -hmm. um, but and yet it's a very you know, serious poem that kind of you know, is exploring a lot of kind of painful material in other respects. So I'm curious to know a little bit about how you kind of came to um, writing that kind of poem. Not that yeah. you do it all the time necessarily, but like uh, what are some of the things that you find yourself doing? Um, and and how do you think you use humor? Well... <laughs> Like I think a bunch of big questions, I know. But. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I think that's just me. And I think that it's like growing up with like a big Native family, we're constantly teasing each other. We're constantly making jokes. It's, and they're, con they're dark, you know, like this is just the, just how I grew up. Um, and so like, I think one of the very first poems in the book that I wrote was the like on teasing uncles where it was like I think it's just a two-line poem in the book where it's like uh what is it it's a two-line poem and I haven't memorized it um <laughs> but it's like uh on uncles and it was just like the sound 
of my uncle's laugh and his laugh was like, and one of the lines is just the, the letter S. Um, you know, he was just like this really big guy and, and he'd laugh, he'd like make a joke and be like, ah, and so like, that was one of the first images for the book. And then I was like, okay, well that's how my like uncle's tease or one of my aunties teasing is like, you know, they would say something and it'd be like, wow. And then they'd hit you on the shoulder, just teasing, you know? And so it was like, I feel for me, that was the, that was like where the book started. And mm-hmm. so I had to keep that humor throughout the book. And I mean, I didn't really realize that it was kind of funny until I started doing readings and like people are like telling me that it is. Hmm. Cause it, I guess in my mind, it's sort of like, it's just who I am. And I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to like, uh, like a native feast, especially in Alberta, uh, it's like the traditional meats lined up right against the KFC. Like it's just at the table and it's just, that's just the way it is. Uh, someone actually made me a pair of like KFC earrings for the book. <laughs> but, that's great. Uh, like, like little beaded things. Anyways, it's just like, so when I think about like humor in the book, that's just indigenous humor, right? It's dark. Uh, it's always there. And at the same time, you can like there's just a lot of hard stuff at the same time. So I can't really envision myself writing this book without having that in there at the same time. Can you talk a bit about the process of writing this book? Now, when I look at a book like this, it, I, it seems to me like you've written a bunch of, you, you probably wrote a, a lot of poems, then mm-hmm. started to think about a book and then started to maybe decide what goes in this book and then started to maybe reorganize and edit things once you kind of had them in like the book folder, let's say, is that more or less the kind of approach you were taking or had you conceived of this as a book and kind of in, in, in and then just kind of start moving towards making the book? Cause I've done books in both ways. And, um, I'm just curious to know where this kind of one started. Uh, it started as a book. Yeah. Uh, so as a, very, a concept. So you had a concept, uh, yeah. clearly in mind and then you started yeah. to move into it. So, yes. so can you talk a bit about where the, I, the concept for the book kind of began then and how it might have changed as you were working on it? Uh, it? The concept was family. So it started off with me, like I said, like the poem about the uncle. That's literally how it started. It was like mm-hmm. that. And then, okay, if I'm going to do uncle, then I have to do auntie. Uh, oh, if I do auntie, then I have to do grandma. If I do grandma, I have to do grandpa. I have to do my mom. I have to do my dad. Like, and then it's sort of like, okay, well, what is this? Like, what are these things? And what is the thing that connects them? And I was like, oh, it's like an encyclopedia. And I was like, oh, man, I wonder if I was to do an encyclopedia of, like, Cree, like, Cree stuff, like, what would that look like? And I'm like, well, I can't really do that because that's just, like, too broad. I was like, oh, but I can focus on myself and my own experience. Uh, Oh, okay. So what if I called the book, like, on me? Oh, well, then this part's on teasing. And then this part's on mental illness. And what are the other parts of myself that I would like to talk about? Oh, on grief. I'd like to talk about grief. I'd like to talk about identity, tradition. Like, and then I started to be like, oh, the thing they have in common is like on, like the word on, whatever. And then it sort of like started to categorize itself like that. So I sort of like thought of the categories. And then I started to think about poems that would go inside of those categories. Okay, like let's break down um, identity a little bit. What are the specific things that I'd want to talk about, uh, on family? Like what are the specific things about my family I'd want to talk about? And like, what are the themes that connect to maybe some of the other like on topics? And then it's sort of like, um, I, so then I, I use like identity as like, I think of it almost like a fish kind of like, so, or a tree maybe. So it's like the spine, it's like identity. And so the identity poems are like a spine that runs through it. And then everything else is sort of like branched off of that. Um, but what I wanted was that like, so every section could be read in its entirety. It's like just that section. So if a reader wanted to go through the book, read it from start to finish, that's like fine. They'd get the, like the full like meal whatever. And then, but if they wanted to just read all the grief poems, they could, and that would like tell a story. Um, but if they wanted to read like all the family poems that could tell a story. So there was like, I just thought like I brought it thinking about like fiction cause I am a fiction writer. 
of like, okay, arcs. So we have a full book arc and then we have the like mini arcs of every topic also. Uh, so that's sort of like how I structured it. I spent a lot of time on like the structuring. <laughs> so it sounds like you were almost uh, outlining the book in a manner of speaking. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that's a good, that's a good thing. So I really took it. I took my cues from like fiction writing. Hmm. Um, since that's like, I would say like my main genre, I guess would be fiction writing. So I just sort of like went up cause I had worked on a novel as my thesis. And so I really learned a lot about structuring and outlining and like how to put the whole concept together. And, um, at the time that I was working on this book, I was also sort of starting to get into screenwriting and like, I wrote some stuff for TV and stuff. And so I was sort of like, uh, taking also my cues from like what worked in screenwriting in terms of like having your outline of all your scenes first and then going back and sort of filling it in, just making sure that the struct, like the story as a whole makes sense. And I thought of like this book of poetry is like a story, right? It's like a whole story. And so I just needed to make sure that the whole story was there also. It's interesting that you, um, you know, are, 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 see yourself as, you see yourself as primarily a fiction writer in many respects then? Uh, yeah, I know. It's like people now are just like, you know, are like, yeah, the poet. poet, Yeah. I'm like, well, actually, like if you look at like my, my publishing history, if I guess if you, you know, it's been like mainly, mainly fiction. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of in a similar boat in the sense that, like, I, I have primarily, I primarily work on fiction, but I've been publishing uh, poetry books. Although mm-hmm. I believe that they're fiction books, <laughs> so it's kind of like a weird thing where it's like, you know, but but it is like one of these. I mean, different people have different versions of this, but it is, uh, I think, a thing that happens a lot with writers is that you're kind of there's like the thing you're doing and then the thing people see you doing, which, you know, sometimes they match up, sometimes they don't match up. Um, so it's always just interesting to me when like poets or fiction writers just kind of, you know, are are primarily engaged in this other thing and, um, kind of getting categorized by people in this other way. Yeah. Um, But on me, I really like the idea of like an encyclopedia of yourself (laughs) as a kind of, as a kind of, poetry book concept in some way I feel like that's like the hidden concept of a lot of poetry books but no you've like made it explicit and and more interesting and more of a structured thing yeah I I guess I mean I mean definitely like the fear I had of like publishing this book I'm like who cares right that was my main Mm -hmm. concern I'm like who cares about me like you know so (laughs) I had to think about the question like really think about it like who cares and so I was like okay like let me narrow my focus a little bit which is why I did that acknowledgement to indigenous youth I'm like like the people that who might care are the people that this book could really like influence so you know it sounds like you also in some ways when you're doing a workshop one of the questions you maybe have to address is that feeling that other people have of you know who cares why should I write why should I put the thing out in the world Um, and, and it's interesting that, you know, even yourself, like after however many years of doing that, you know, you still can can fall prey to that trap, right? Yeah. It's a a common trap. A lot of people fall in. I think it's a good question to ask yourself though, Mm -hmm. because if you can't answer it, I don't know, maybe Mm -hmm. think about that. (laughs) Maybe, maybe (laughs) like try and answer it. Like, I'm sure like you can find someone who cares and then, then just, Instead of, I, I find like, instead of trying to go after the entire population of the planet, yeah, uh, that's impossible, right? So really try and think about who you're writing for. I mean, not at the beginning, but at the end, right? Well, well, I, there always, of course, even if you're publishing you know, a book like this, there's going to be a point where the publisher sends you a survey. <laughs> and they say, yeah. and they basically, one of their yeah. questions basically is like, who would care about this book? Yeah. <laughs> you know, know, it's so it is something that, you know, I think people, on one hand, you can think too much about it and paralyze yourself. Oh, on yeah. On the other hand, you really should give some serious thought to it, as you say. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, how, how do you get kind of outside your head enough to get the thing done, but stay yeah. inside your head enough to make it, you know, yours, in a manner of speaking? Yeah. Uh, I just wait till the end. <laughs> 
sure. Makes well, sense. Then I can see, then I can see what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't, if I'm in the middle of it, I can't see what I'm working on. Right. So, um, and also I'm a big believer in the letting things sit for a long time. Um, like a long time. So this book was finished for a while and I let it sit for like a year and a half. Um, totally finished. Just didn't want to, before I sent it out anywhere. Cause I'm like, I get to, because like you probably tell, like I get super into things. Um, and then I can't, I can't see anything else. So I need it. I need to like, so like my next book, uh, I've had sitting for years, like done, it's done. It, I'm just like, just waiting, like, okay, I need some distance and then I can come back and see if it's any good before, you know, so, yeah. Now you're also a visual poet. Do you have any, um, plans or ideas about putting a visual poetry book together? Uh, I have thought about it. So, cause I do a lot of watercolor. Um, so I, I thought like every place that I travel to, I write poems and do paintings in that place. And a lot of times they're places that people don't visit. So I thought maybe in like 10 or 15 years when I have enough places under my belt that I might put out a book of like watercolor and paintings from across Canada, but you know, like small reserves and just like different places other people don't ever visit. But that's like a long-term project. Now, now, if people want to see some of your oil paintings and other visual work, or even just you know find out more about you as an educator and so on, they can go to francinecunningham.ca. Yeah. Uh, so again, it's francinecunningham.ca, and there's a whole bunch of stuff on her website. And um, uh, you know, I just want to like note that to people who maybe want to look at some of those uh, kind of visual works of yours, or mm-hmm. you know, we just want to find out more about you. Um, and. I want to thank you very much for talking to me. It's been a real pleasure. Oh yeah, no problem. I, 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 I love talking as you can probably tell, like, uh, I can just go and, and talk forever. So well, I'm yeah. glad. Uh, and thanks very much. <laughs> and congratulations on the book. And, uh, yeah, I, actually, I don't know if you saw, but the book was, has been nominated for the BC, uh, Yukon Book Prizes. I did hear that. That's excellent. Which I was very excited about. Well, fingers crossed for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Great. Great. Well, thanks very much for talking to me. And again, people can go to francinecunningham.ca um, yeah. to learn more about Francine or you know, book her, uh, her, her in a workshop and whatnot. Yeah, or uh, my Instagram also. That's where I post a lot. Uh, sure. My main platform. Is it at Francine Cunningham as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, great. Thanks so much for talking to me and uh, keep writing the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>